from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. I'd like to welcome friend of the show, Coach Ken George, assistant coach, Hope College Men's Basketball, former head coach, Forest Hills Central High School in the Grand Rapids area, over 350 coaching wins, won nine leagues, four districts, three regional championships. He's been a past president of the Basketball Coaches Association of Michigan. He's a camp director. Player development is in his back pocket as well. West Michigan Guard Academy, Hoop Smart Basketball Camps, West Michigan College Basketball Academy, as well as uh, the Hoop Smart Coaching Academy. And we're kind of supporting one another with this now, Coach, which is really exciting between Hoop Smart Coaching Academy, coachesedge.coach, and, and, and this podcast is a part of that as well. And all those amazing things. You're also an author, which is what we're digging into today on your 10 commandments for a basketball coach. So, you know, what do you what do you think of when you hear all that stuff I just rattled off? I really feel like your resume is better. Like if you would have given me some time, I could have beaten that with yours. <laughs> um, but I just, what does it make me feel? It makes me feel old. Um, it makes me feel busy. Um, but also, yeah, honored that I was able to coach for a long time and and really honored that kids send them or that parents send their kids to my camps. And uh, yeah, just a basketball junkie like you coach. So, but I appreciate the the introduction for sure. Well, I'm glad that you are a servant. You're a, you like to share, you're a lifter, right? You could have all of this great experience, but you keep it to yourself. You like teaching, you love sharing, obviously a teacher by nature, um, as well as with, with your career. And so let's start there with this book as I enjoy diving into it. Uh, we're giving away two of these books to our listeners. So if you, you like this podcast at all, if you, you just tuned in because I, Ken George is on this podcast. I got no idea what Coach's Edge is, but I'm I'm listening because this is this is my guy right here. We're going to even out two of his books. All you have to do, reach out, contact at kramerbasketball.com, reach out to Ken, reach out to, to our Twitter page at Coach's Edge One. Let us know you listen to the podcast, you'd, you'd like access to the book, and we'll put that in a random drawing, and we'll send that out. Um, we're going to do two to our Coach's Edge members as well. So, Coach, what you had in the very beginning before you get into your Ten Commandments you wrote a letter to the coach, a letter to the coach, a letter to the reader. And within the first couple of paragraphs, you already have me getting emotional. You're talking about when you're hired back in 1994 as the Forest Hills Central boys basketball coach and how emotional you became there. And then you also talked in the next paragraph about the ending 24 years later and how that also left you in tears, very emotional, reflecting on that. Can you just expand upon what you've shared with our readers in this book? Yeah. You know, first of all, just, I think the book is, um, you know, it's funny. I spent more time with it over the last couple of days getting ready to hang with you and uh, God, it's a pretty quick read. And it's kind of interesting if I do say so myself, I don't know if anyone out there, like if you want to just read something really quickly and get you thinking about your season or just thinking about some things you do, and you might agree with none of it, but um but it's just, I don't know. I just think it's uh, just a little wrap up of some of the things that I think about. So yeah, the letter to the coach at the start is just to you know explain to the reader that it's just, 
You know, I'm just a guy that happened to have some free time in the summer because I'm a high school teacher and I wrote a book. And by the way, it's pretty much a, more of a pamphlet than a book. And I'll also say writing a book is really hard. Um, it was a lot. And I didn't know it was going to be a lot, but it was a lot. But um, but really fun to, to glance back through it, getting prepared to talk to you, coach. And yeah, in 1994, I was 25 years old, zero coaching experience. Um, I mean, I'd sat on Albion College's bench for a year after I played there. And um, yeah, I was I was hired. I think I was third or fourth choice at Forest Hills Central High School to to be the head coach and also to teach some English. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, it was just like my dream job. It was my dream job at age 25. And I don't think a lot of people get their dream job at, at, at age 25. I mean, my dad was a coach forever. Um, it's all I wanted to do. And then yeah, I just, I was overwhelmed. Funny part of it is I ran to, not ran, I drove to a payphone to call my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, some of the people listening may know what a payphone is, but yeah, <laughs> I drove to a payphone to call my, call my girlfriend and tell her about it. And um, yeah, I was, I was on the side of Cascade Road and I-96 um, crying at a payphone, um, just overwhelmed by the idea that I'd get to do what I, you know, hoped to do all along. So you, you're so excited. You get this dream job. You have all these experiences. 24 years later, not many people know that this is going to be your last season. And after that last game, you, you talked about only friends and some close family. And you talk about being in an empty gym after a district loss. And you're, you're crying and, and you're reflecting. What are some of the emotions? You know, because those that are listening – our current coaches. And at some point they're, they're going to get to a point, whether they chose that point or it was chosen for them, but they're going to be at a point where they're done coaching in that position. What are some of the things that you're reflecting upon? Yeah, it was really an interesting year because, uh, you know, I went through so many stages as a coach and, and uh, you know, a young coach trying to figure things out. And then a kind of a middle, middle section of coaching where I, had really good players and won a lot of games and had a lot of success and felt really good about it. And then the last, I don't know, eight to 10 years were, you know, I got to coach both my kids and that was an unbelievable stage and really what I had hoped for all along and, uh, and got to coach both of them. They were both good enough to play a lot. And uh, yeah. So going into that last year, I knew it. And then, yeah, we were, we were upset in the first game of districts. We, we lost our, first two games of the season and won 18 in a row. So we're 18 and two and um, really tough loss in the first game of the districts. And yeah, you know, um, it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, and for a lot of the last year of my coaching, I had my son Jordan on the bench with me um, as an assistant. So yeah, it was, uh, he knew, he knew. So it was a lot, my wife and and Jordan and I, and, and uh, we just kind of hung in the gym afterwards. And, you know, I think about 24 years, 24 years is 24 years is a lot of years coach. Yeah. And it's, I know a ton of coaches have coached longer than that, but I mean, it was from when I was single, no kids to when I'm sitting on the bench with a, I don't know how old Jordan was at the time, 20, 21, 22, something. It's, um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. So I was pretty overwhelmed, um, overwhelmed that uh, it was time for a next stage, overwhelmed that I had had such you know, an honor and a privilege to be that coach, but also very much, I think, at that time also just, you know, about family, about my wife who had supported me for so long and um, and about my boys. I got to coach with them and that I was actually, you know, in my last game, I was coaching one of my sons and my other son was sitting right next to me. Uh, coaching with me. I mean, you, you can't, you can't dream of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
special. It's very, very special. I, I think back to the first time I played in a basketball tournament. I think I was, you know, maybe nine or 10 years old. I'm playing in a three on three tournament. You know, a little guy, I love basketball. This is my first organized basketball tournament. And I remember we made it to the championship game and I was, I'm crying and my dad's like patting me on the back and I got all these emotions going through my head. And it wasn't because I was pouting. It wasn't because anything, it was just, I loved what I was doing so much. I had all these feelings going through my body. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to do. And so I just crying was apparently the response that, <laughs> that I was doing. And thankfully my teammate banked a shot to hit the, hit the top of the backboard and dropped in. I remember it like it was literally yesterday. Isn't it incredible that you still remember that. He coach? dropped that shot in, we won. And then it was tears of joy after that. And I got the bug. I had probably already had the bug, but at that point, I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to control my emotions around this game, but I am in love. I am in love. And that's that. And, and I kept that all the way through my last year of playing overseas. That last game, similar to you, I hadn't told a whole lot of people besides my wife. That last game in, in Germany, home game, Hamburg. I'm crying in the locker room when we finished. The coach was one of the only people that knew. I'm crying, signing autographs to the kids after the game. I'm crying on the way home and many tears after that. And it felt like a part of me died. It mm -hmm. felt like a part of me died. It was a, it was a love that I cannot explain. And yeah. after years and years and years, thankfully, a, a, a new person kind of grew in that place. And there's a new love now for, for what I'm doing. But when you wrote that and that, I was like, I'm in. I don't know what the rest of this book has in store, but I'm in. Because what you explained with coaching in, in a few paragraphs, and I was like, it could be a much deeper conversation later. I know exactly what that feeling is as yeah. a basketball player. And yeah. so I, I was in. Well, I appreciate that, Coach. And, and basketball junkies, you know, have felt that. They felt that at the end of the season or felt that like you at the end of a game or or whatever. The highs and lows are pretty amazing, but I, I appreciate that. And I, and I, you know, sense your passion for sure. In the first chapter or commandment is the 10 commandments of basketball coaching you have called identity all right have a consistent plan and sell that vision and you shared how you considered quitting and as you kind of evaluated you figured out probably wasn't quitting that was the issue it wasn't you that was necessarily the issue as much as it was the identity that you talked about in this first uh, commandment or, or chapter can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it was my seventh year and it was on, it was on a bus ride home after a really rough loss. And and uh, yeah, the first five or six years, you know, when you take over a program that, that had been struggling, there's just a lot of building that has to go on and and hours upon hours of youth leagues and, and camps and, you know, trying to just trying to win games and um and shoot i was you know i was 25 years old and i was 26 27 just trying to figure out and i'm getting married and i've got young kids it was a lot i mean it was a lot um and i and i dove in you know 100 um from day one and yeah got to a point on that bus ride on that way home where i was like you know that's that is that is an unacceptable loss we are more talented than that team we should be better than that team we're floundering uh, early in the year, but we're just floundering, not sure who we are and what we are. And um, yeah, I just felt like maybe it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be me and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just wasn't going to work out. Um, and I don't even know exactly how it all came together, but I, I just realized on that bus ride home that, 
we just didn't know who we were that I, I, I didn't know who really I was as a coach. I mean, I knew I was a hard worker and a grinder and putting all the time in and doing all the things or whatever, but I don't know if I knew what I really stood for. And I don't know if you knew, you know, if you went up to any of my players at that time and said, Hey, what is, you know, Forest Hill Central Basketball? What is your team? And I'd be like, we, you know, work out a lot. We try our hardest. There just wasn't a real specific identity or, or, um, you know, real specific plan for who we were. And yeah, right afterwards that, um, we just switched our identity. We just came up with an identity and a system and a plan and a method. And we went all in with it and and we wrote it and we wrote it for years and years and years and it, and it might not be the same identity that everyone else had but anyone after a couple years later if you ask them what was Forest Hill Central Basketball it didn't matter anyone in Grand Rapids would be able to tell you what we were like and who we were we're really I feel like in the first seven years we were you know every year something different every, just in every game something different and it was uh I think that was a huge turning point when we, we decided who we were going to be and how we were going to be. I love that. We're not going to dig into every single commandment, but got to buy the book, right? You got to, got to buy the book. Commandment number two is delegate. And you mentioned the importance of captains and assistant coaches and some of the benefits that provides not only for them and your kids, but yourself as well. Can you talk specifically about what I've really liked the paragraph you talked about, the practice always started with a team huddle at half court. I was rarely the main speaker in the huddle. In fact, most often I never went into the huddle at all. And the first time I would officially address the team each day was after about 30 minutes of actual practice time. I think mo most coaches probably can't even, you know, wrap their mind around those few <laughs> sentences that, that you just put in right there. Talk to us about the importance of delegation and how you put into practice. Yeah. I mean, I did it with my assistant coaches. I get better at it as I got older. And, and I will tell you up front, um, I have major control issues in all aspects of life. And I admit it and I understand it and I know it. And as a high school teacher, I have it. And so I, I wanted to control every second of every practice and every, yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to control everything. Started to realize after a while that it was, um, I don't know, uh, unhealthy uh, for me and probably for the players as well. And that there were people around me who could, you know, who could motivate and energize in a different way, maybe than, than I could as the head coach at that time. So yeah, I, I just started trying to back off as much as I could. And it comes up a little bit in a later chapter about brevity as well. But um, I, I just tried to give my captains and certainly my assistant coaches, but my captains, what you're asking about, much more ownership in various situations. And one of them was the start of practice. I mean, we, we had a pretty specific plan for the first 15 to 20, 25 minutes of practice most days. And I mean, we had drills that we knew. We varied some things, obviously, but but they knew what we were doing or how we were doing it. Or I'd tell the captains ahead of time. And uh, I don't know, coach, how many times did a coach talk to you at half court before a practice and middle of practice and after a practice? And mm -hmm. did it make that one practice that much better because the coach was like, hey, today, let's, you know, and I not that I didn't go in there sometimes and, sure. and make a point or talk about a focus area. But shoot, you practice a hundred times or something. I mean, do they need a do they need a speech every single practice? And I right. just finally determined that they don't. They don't. They need mm -hmm. to go out there and they need to have some ownership in it. And uh, and yeah, I mean, there, it wasn't like all of a sudden we had 
crappy practices because I didn't go out to the huddle at the start of the practice and give a speech. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then, you know, then they're playing for each other a little bit. So that was just one small thing, that meeting before practices. But there were some meetings before games. We had a captain's meeting before every game that I was not in the in the classroom for and just tried to do more and more where it was, you know, players motivating each other and, and managing each other. You list a handful of things as far as some of the benefits of delegating more. And one that I made a note of was the fourth one, which said it gives you a chance to step back and it gives you that, that a bigger view because you're taking a, a step or two backwards. Can you talk about the importance of that as a head coach? Yeah. Well, I, I'm telling you what, in the last, like, I don't think I had an assistant for the first five to 10 years as a coach. Cause we just mm. couldn't find the right person. I had, you know, student managers and stuff. The last 10 years or so, I had some of the best assistant coaches, unbelievable assistant coaches and great captains. And um, more and more and more, I would break things down. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of coaches probably do this. I would, I would break things down at one end, there'd be an assistant doing something with a group. And at the other end, there'd be an assistant doing something with another group. And I would be wandering and watching and talking and, and just managing from the middle. Um, and what a, Boy, what a joy that was as a head high school coach to have an assistant on each end, um, a trusted assistant. And I had just incredible assistants that were former head coaches and such, where I could sit in the middle and, and just watch you know all of it go on. And then certainly gave assistant coaches different parts of, of practice where I could sit back and, and just you know, watch and, and see. And sometimes I think you get so in it in the management of the moment, the management of that drill, the management of that practice, the screaming, the yelling, the talking, the prodding, the praising, and then practice ends and you don't even know what happened. You just were just grinding. Um, I loved my times coach when I was able to sit back a little bit and watch and try to, you know, self-scout a little bit. Like, what am I watching? and Why is it not good enough? Or what is good about it? And, uh, it's hard for a guy with control issues, hard. And I don't know, I feel like all coaches have control issues, but um, but I loved it. And that was a real highlight for my last seven to 10 years. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, serving mid-Michigan in the thumb with their big three automotive needs. They have a wide range of products from Chevy, Buick, Ford, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. And they also have a large selection of pre-owned vehicles with one of the largest selections of trucks in the state. They are sure to fit your needs. Standish and Gladwin are truck country. Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, they are all about service. And I can tell you firsthand from purchasing a couple different vehicles from Richardson Automotive, they are all about service. Stop in and see them today. They will get you right. What complements that is brevity which is another one of your commandments. Say less, but say it more often. Let's touch on that for a minute. Yeah, you know, you know we talk too much. I mean, you, <laughs> we you all know, do. we know as coaches we talk too much. Dude, I got a podcast where I just blabber on about <laughs> basketball all day. Like, I mean, think of how many like hundreds and hundreds of hours I've spent in the last three years. <laughs> and it, talking to different. talking to my computer screen. Yeah, but I feel like that's different, but I hear you. But anyway, and we could go forever. You you and I, I know right now we could go for three hours <laughs> just talking hoops. We could. And you know we could stand in front of our teams and do the same and, and say this and say this and say it again and say it more. And then something doesn't go right and stop practice and say it again and say more. And then, and um, 
you know, and, and there's more standing and there's more blank stares and there's less listening. And then they hear your voice again and they walk into practice and they're like, you know, he's going to meet with us at the start and give a 10 minute speech or, or worse. I mean, some of the worst things I've you know, witnessed is practice starts and there's 10 minutes of intense and, you know, warm up and now we're ready to practice. And then the coach for 10 plus minutes at half court mm -hmm. meets with the team and talks. Yeah. And After you're already the, loosened up as yeah. that is the worst thing for a player is like, I mean, we already got that momentum yeah. going. Yeah. And then, and then you ask them to instantly flip a switch and then you're like, why aren't you going hard? Well, shoot, <laughs> my gosh, you just talked for 10 minutes. Um, but we're coaches and we talk and, and we think our voice is going to make a difference. And a lot of times it does. Um, but I just, and as a teacher, I try to do it as well. Just less is more, you know, if you, if there's something really specific that you want to get done, say it and say it often, but say it quickly, say it briefly and let's go. And next thing I would even say, probably in my last 10 to 15 years, I probably erred on the side of not enough. It just got to the point where flow of practice was very important to me. And absolutely. I stopped and coached and absolutely. I stopped and we, whatever, but w there are a whole lot of times that I could wait for stuff to end and make the same point. Mm -hmm. And to let, you know, let some havoc and uh, go on out there and just let it be ugly for a little while and then talk afterwards. So I don't know. I, I just feel like less is more so much, um, especially when they just got out of school, sitting there listening to teachers talk for eight straight hours. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, one of the reasons I loved that point was because it really hit home to something that I'm working on as a coach and working on at my camps is, you know, we have our, my assistant coaches and they do a tremendous job. And, you know, we, I absolutely give them the time to coach and teach. And there's, there's times where they break down a great point to our players. And instead of me moving on because they've done enough talking and it was a tremendous, <laughs> I got to add on it. You know, they'll say something tremendous and then I'll basically like, because it was so good, I'll like repeat the same thing that they yeah. just said. And then we move on. Yeah. It's like, why the heck did I, I didn't need to say anything. Like they did it. Yeah. They, they started it. They closed it. Perfect. Here's the next <laughs> thing we got to do, you know? And so that, that one hit home to me. Cause I, I am like consciously working on that. We had a clinic Saturday yeah. and I was consciously, that was in the back of my head, my assistant, former division one basketball player, she's got it. She knows the game. I don't need to add Probably what she's okay. saying. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. good. Yep, the kids didn't need to hear it a second time from me. Um, consistency, coach. Consistency, everybody hears consistency. Everybody knows that it is important. There's one thing that some may think is kind of a small thing, but it stood out to, stood out to me. And that was the gear, right? You talked about gear and, and gear, whether it's your team gear, whether kids coming in with their own gear. It seems like the swag that everybody wears is only becoming – more popular, what, what, what are people wearing? What shoes are people wearing? What's, you know, sleeves and uniforms and how are they wearing all these different things? Everyone wears their practice jersey. No exceptions. Period. Start to finish. Commandment number five was consistency and it. You know, it's just about how, and the, and the subtitles about minimizing slippage and, and um, you know, the example you see in school, you see in practices day one, everyone, there's a great book, by the way, called day one leadership that talks a lot about this, but um about how, how uh, you know, first day in, in my classes, everyone's there, you know, early. Uh, no one has to pee all hour apparently because no one leaves. And <laughs> and you know, for the first few days, it's like that, and then slippage starts to happen. And uh, yeah, I think when you let slippage into your program in one area, then you're just inviting slippage in any area. And 
the practice jersey was just God, I'm that old guy now, coach. It just was a thing, you know, like, like some people would want to come out and warm up without it. And then it'd be on the side and then they'd go grab it when we we're starting practice. I'd be like, all right, now we're getting into this. And they'd be like, hold on, got to go grab my Jersey. Like, no, like, no. Why do you have to look different than mm -hmm. everyone else? Put your Jersey on at the start of practice and we'll warm up with our jerseys on. Or they, you know, even sometimes they just hanging around their neck around the back. I was like, just going to mention that. <laughs> with it, with it hanging. And it's like, like, no, you're not. You're really not. Because that's like, why do you have to be different? Um, and this is how we are. And it was, uh, I never wavered on it. I just didn't waver. And someone would forget it. I'd have an extra one. I'm always with me so that I didn't have to say, okay, you get to, you know, and, and we'd run for it and then we'd put it on them. So everyone looked the same again. But um, yeah, I just didn't waver. I didn't waver. I didn't care if it was practice one or practice 50. Like you're putting your practice jersey on at the start of practice. And it just, it was just a no brainer. You put it on, put it on the right way. I'm assuming you weren't letting your kids wear them backwards, right? No. Stuff like that. Like you We're put your on. jersey on. You don't hang it around your neck. I mean, I, yeah. I read that and I was like, thank goodness I'm not the only one that is like <laughs> one of the biggest things that drives me nuts is if I'm like just observing a game or watching a game or at an AU or any any type of thing. And I see somebody who just, they think they're cool because they don't have their jersey on right. I know. Like that's not, that's not cool. And to me, as somebody who talks to potential college coaches, like you're telling me that you think you're better than everybody else. You think yeah. you're cooler than everybody else and mm -hmm. that you're too good to be like everybody else, which tells me you're not a good teammate. Yeah. It tells me a 100%. lot simply by how you wear your jersey. 100%. Yeah. You know, the little sidelight that kind of bothers me, not kind of bothers me a lot lately is right when game ends, everyone untucks their jersey. And then as they get in the, the handshake line, you know, two or three guys already have it off. Mm. They've taken their jersey off on the court to shake hands and they've got like their undershirt on or something right. like that. And I don't get it. Like what, like what, I don't understand what, like you, you I don't know. Anyway, sound like that old guy now, but it's yep. a big deal to me. No, I agree. Big deal. Big deal to me as well. Moving on coach. You talked about the importance of communication. Um, it reminds me of my three C's clear, consistent, concise is how I break mm -hmm. down communication mm -hmm. the other the other big C um and you talked about communicating with parents specifically and making sure that they have an understanding of what where their kids stand what the expectations are and the standards are for your program and you also talked about some really cool stuff that you do to build that because it's one thing to say it's another thing to do it you have a player parent coach meeting. You have the 24-hour rule as far as getting back to the coach. Open practices for parents. I mean, this we could go through this little chapter right here. It's a full <laughs> podcast. It's a full yeah. podcast, coach. Um, yeah. And you talked about the bias of a parent, which is going to be natural, but making sure as coaches we understand that. I mean, I'm not going to dig read everything because I want you to you to explain it. I mean, talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from a couple of places. First is you have to understand that the parents are not, I mean, I, there's, I, there's, a parent can't not be biased about their, their their kid's situation. It's impossible. So you have to understand there will always be some of that. I just erred on the side of over-communicating, over-communicating, and it wasn't always good news, 
but it was always said. And um, yeah, a couple of things at the end of every season, we had individual parent player coach meetings. So they'd sit in my classroom and I would, I'd have a sheet all filled out. Here's a report on what your year was like, what I thought. Here's a report on what next year might look like. This is for people that were, you know, non-seniors and any questions in 15 minutes with the parents. And there were some brutal meetings, hard, hard things that I said, but almost invariably the parent walked out and said, you know, at least I know, like, I don't agree. <laughs> You're wrong. You know, I don't <laughs> see it that way, but I know what you think. And I'm, you know, as opposed to some mysterious, what does he think? What does he see? What do I need to work on? There were no mysteries. There were just no mysteries. And then very early in the season, before any games, I held an open practice where I put chairs along the wall. It was an evening practice. And, um, and we would, yeah, parents would show up before the practice. And for an hour and a half, we'd go at it with a pretty typical practice that we would normally have. Tried to do drills that were familiar and, and for the guys and that we could get through pretty cleanly. And my assistants would run a lot of the practice. And I would talk to the parents about what drill we're doing, why we're doing that drill, what it looks like, what the purpose is. Certainly, I'd be coaching as well. And that was the one practice they were they were invited to. And um, yeah, I'd put out some snacks and put out some lanyards and and uh, they'd get to look at their kids' uh, team notebook. They could leaf through their notebook and see notes I'd written to them and, you know, plays and everything in their team notebook. And um, and then, you know, gosh, I just think it was the best thing ever. They they went home and they're like, now I know where my kid is every night. And I know what he's doing. And I And, oh, my gosh, he's not good enough yet. Or, holy cow, he's very different on court than he is at home. Or, you know, <laughs> he needs to hustle more. Or he does, you know, it just was... Uh, enlightening and eye-opening and uh, built a layer of trust between the parents and the coaching staff that I think couldn't be done any other way. I think that's tremendous. The open line of communication that you have and very much like, I'm not only going to tell you what I see, take a look for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that goes a really, really long way. So that's very, very cool. I haven't, I mean, I've heard of coaches saying, Hey, you know, come to a practice check out, see what we do, right? You don't think your kid's playing enough, like come to practice and see that, you know, he or she is not as good as the five that are starting for, for example, but to be able to organize it and really have some things set up that it's just, that's a whole nother level that I really love. Another commandment that you had in your coach was reliability. And in specific, you talked about poor body language. Now, this one, again, gets me going, the whole body language thing. Can you talk about what that look like, what that looks like? What are some examples and how you taught your kids to carry themselves, you know, on the court, off the court, in practice, locker room, all those things? Yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, and it, it's a hard thing. And I think we can all say, hey, this is what you should look like and this is what you should not look like. And, you know, every every player is different. And sometimes there are more, you know, there's some that really, really struggle with it. So while the chapter talks about here's what was accepted and not accepted, did I struggle sometimes with training people and teaching some players exactly, you know, the right way to be? Oh, absolutely, I did. Um, but for the most part, once the leaders of the team set forth, this is how it's going to look, it, it was pretty clear what we did. And we, we focused on some very specific situations. We actually practiced them. Um, we actually practiced what to do when you're subbed for. So we'd set up benches at practice and we would sub for you. And here's where you go. And here's what you do. And here's, you know, you go down to the end, you slap five with everyone, you get a drink, you slap five with everyone, you sit next to me 
when you're sub four and you don't look down and you do give me five and you, you know, all the things that, and we practiced it. Um, we talked a lot about how guys are on the bench. Um, and we, you know, in our scouting or in our, you know, talking about how our previous game went, we absolutely focused on our bench energy a lot. Um, we, I switched totally how I did timeouts because of some body language issues I was having, you know, it's a really weird thing, but anyway, I, I put all the other players, no one was behind me in timeouts uh, my last 10 years. So I was crouched or seated. It's five people that are in the game that are on the bench and all the other guys are behind the bench where I can make eye contact with them. And my assistants and I were the only ones on the other side. Um, just because I see, I saw on tape timeouts where I'm in there coaching my butt off and a guy that's going to be put in in two minutes is outside of the circle, disengaged, talking to someone else. And I started right. to think like, my gosh, like the five in the game are not the only ones that need to hear this. Mm -hmm. And that looks horrible that a guy out there is not engaged in this timeout. So I switched my whole timeout format for the rest of my coaching career and all eyes were on me and my assistants in those situations. So it was very important. We talked about it. We showed it on tape. We showed good. We showed bad. And, um, but boy, if you start to let it go a little bit, I think there's a place where slippage can really hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's one that I think every coach right now could implement that and immediately see the results from it. They immediately start to see the positives of that type of, of setup where uh, you're just really putting the kids in a position to listen and, and succeed because of a simple format change like mm -hmm. that. That's uh, that's really, really big. The, the body language thing is, you know, it's it's ever evolving as well. I think as times have, have changed, certain behaviors may have as well. And so it's important for us as coaches to really get a good feel for our kids individually and, uh, you know, what some of their natural behaviors are and how we can start to put them in a position to succeed. Because, you know, certain, I mean, this, how they carry themselves is not just going to help them in sports. It's going to help them in the classroom. It's going to help them during job interviews, all these other things that they're going to have to have to yeah. do throughout the course of life. It goes a really long way. The body language one, we could dig into that one even more, but we're 100%. on to the next one coach. And the last one we'll touch on tonight. Thanks for doing this. This is great. The information is flying by. I mean, the stuff we're covered in just 30 minutes is, is tremendous balance coaching them hard, but also knowing when to pick your spots. And you shared some stories in here, which was great as well. So just, just talk about this, the idea of balance as a coach. We all want this, you know, figment of our met like balance looks different for all of us, right? But, you know, what does that look like for you when it comes to those positives and negatives? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is trying to understand that it's not, it's not supposed to be all screaming, Mm -hmm. and all negative you know I, I officiated a bunch of AAU this past weekend and um, and I, I would say that you know 99% of communication from coach to player player to coach eh, player to player I guess there wasn't a ton or whatever but most of it was just angry like it's supposed to be a game played angrily and 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 I and I, I think there's an intensity that it should be played with but I don't know if anger always has to come with it but I do think there's a part of watching TV, watching college games on TV and what, you know, what are these coaches, what do you see? You see coaches screaming at players and screaming at, at officials. And that's, that's, and you and I think there's some acceptance that that's what coaching is. Um, but I think laughing and, and smiling and, and having fun should, should certainly be a part of it. And if you, you know, and I, I worked really hard on it later in my career. I, I should laugh every practice. I should just laugh every practice in some way and maybe laugh a lot. 
about something um, and, and just laugh with the guys for a minute or smile or, you know, and, and I, I was, um, I think I was an ultra positive coach and, and praised maybe even too much. Um, I don't know if you can do that, but I praised a lot. And, um, and I just feel like there's just so much more to gain, you know, from positivity. If, if, if there's a true buy into your system and people are playing as hard as they can play, and they're playing with an edge without you screaming at them. And they're playing for each other. I think the power of praise is, is, I mean, you just can't even measure it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so that I think, just think there's gotta be some balance. There's gotta be some balance that you don't announce the whole game. You don't scream at your players constantly that they've got to hear some positives. And I think you need to laugh and they need to, they need to see you as a, as a human and you need to have a half court shootout sometimes at the end of practice. And you need to, you know, you just you just need to have some some positivity and, and some laid back time, I think, as part of your part of your coaching time. And that also gives you the opportunity when there is a time to challenge your athletes to be able to to do so. And they're going to listen. Right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And if it's constant challenging at a certain point, I think it's, you know, it falls on deaf ears a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach, this was this was awesome. Again, to to our listeners, if you'd like this book we're going to send out two to our listeners and two to our coaches edge coach members so shoot me an email contact at kremerbasketball.com we'll randomly pick two people within a week of when this episode is published we'll get a hold of you we will send this out to you and and a lot more with with ken george and hoop smart coaching academy over, over the this fall and a lot of cool stuff that we have going on but this was a great start coach george thanks again for taking the time to be on the coach's edge podcast you got it thanks for having me i really appreciate it Thanks for listening. Get after today.